we're going to go ahead and, and get started here. Uh, again, if, if anyone would like a copy of the notes, it's actually a wonderful suggestion by a couple of ladies here yes, uh, last week. Uh, they're like, hey, uh, could you, you know, print off copies of your notes? It would really kind of help with, you know, scripture references and things like that. And I've never really uh, done that before. And I thought, well, that's a great idea, uh, especially when we've kind of been covering so much territory, going kind of rapid fire. Uh, and so that's why I printed them out. I apologize in advance. Um, it's mostly legible, I think. Uh, I think, but I, I, I'm very cryptic, like I just have a really good memory, and so I tend to just write little uh, word here and a word there, and then just kind of remember things, uh, and so I tried to write out more and, and have a few more, uh, thank you, a few more scripture references than I would normally put down uh, in order to try to be helpful, so hopefully this this helps you guys. Um, so, you know, let me know. Let me know if, it, if, if you find it, find it helpful. Um, let's open up with a word of prayer here, and then we'll, we'll start talking about angels today. That's going to be today's topic. Let's, um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we just, uh, it's such a beautiful day, Father. I, I just love the fall, um, and it's just a glorious time. And, and Father, just thank you for the little blessings you give us, like, like glorious fall weather, and we're just so thankful for you and everything that you, you do. Um, Lord, as we look into your word, as we talk about uh, angels, I just pray that you would guide us and direct us, and, and that you would guide each and every uh, class that's meeting and the service to follow, and we just pray again that your spirit would just be in control, uh, and that you would show us the things you want us to know, and we just ask it in your precious name, amen. All right. First of all, um, last week we really started, I guess you could almost call it week one, on talking about spiritual beings. We talked about uh, the sons of God, one, one of the names that's, that's used for spiritual beings in the Bible, and how that there's the possibility that there's more than one type of spiritual being that the Bible's talking about. And we'll talk more about that a little bit here today and about the use of the term angel. So I want to jump right into that. The word angel itself in both the Greek and the Hebrew means messenger. Uh, and we talked a little bit about this last week. Uh, the, the word for angel in Hebrew is malach. Uh, and and if, if you add an I-M to the end of Hebrew, it becomes plural. And so malachim is, the, is usually the word that you will see for angel in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it is angelos. Uh, angelos, angelos, it, 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 it kind of came over into Latin, and of course it came to Spanish, and that's where we get words like Los Angeles, uh, that, which literally means city of angels. Uh, so it's, it's a common enough word to us, uh, and it, it, it always means messenger. Now, it can actually be used of a human, and there are times in, in the Old Testament that it's, the word is used to refer to what seems clearly to be a human messenger. So it, it, it was used in the ancient wor world for, you know, someone who was a messenger, even if it was a human being. But it is the, the common word that is, is used uh, in the Bible for, for angel, and, and it is, 
it, when you see it, it means messenger. Almost all commentators I've read, and, and especially Hebrew specialists, basically make the point that there's clearly more than one type of spiritual being in the Old Testament. Uh, and, and I'm not talking about angels and demons. I'm talking about, you know, good beings. Uh, but the name angel is generally used by most scholars as a catch-all for all of them, okay? And, and so that, that's the typical way that, that scholars do it. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week. Not all Hebrew scholars do that because they make the argument, well, you know, some angels are clearly messengers, and that term is, is, means specifically that, and the others are not messengers, and so they should be referred to differently. Like I said, it, it, I don't really see a big difference one way in it or the other. It's just how technical you want to be when it comes to the Hebrew. But it's funny. I mean, they virtually all agree on this. It's, it, I read at least two or three guys this week that said, there's clearly multiple beings that are spoken of as spiritual beings in the Old Testament, but the word angel is used as a phrase to cover them all. And, you know, so it, it, they all agree that there's multiple different ones, but they all handle it in slightly different ways. So what we're going to do today is basically we're going to use the word angel as kind of a, a catch-all for it, these different spiritual beings, and we're going to talk about them all, uh, not all of them, but a, a lot of them today. Last week, we already talked a good deal about the sons of God and, and, and the potential that is there and what seems like a likelihood even that they are kind of a higher rank of, of spiritual beings. Uh, and the Bible refers to them as the sons of God or, or God's heavenly host or his holy council, his heavenly council. Um, but today, we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit. We'll talk about some other uh, spiritual beings today. Now, let me give you some of the names for some of these. Uh, as I mentioned sons of God already, and those of you who have the notes, I, I put down some of the references there. It's, it's a, not a commonly used phrase. Uh, it is used a handful of times. Uh, and so I, I put down uh, you know, references in Job and, and Genesis there. Another one is cherubim. Uh, let me, let, let's look at a couple verses in the Bible. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. And this is the story of after the fall, Genesis 3, verses 22 through 24. Then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take, the fr uh, take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the, uh, the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim, and notice the I am, more than one, it's plural, uh, mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, uh, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Um, and, and, and I have a couple other references there that you can look up, uh, so a couple in the Psalms, and, and there's, there's actually a number of them in the Bible. So cherubim, um, not a lot is known of cherubim. What seems to be uh, the main thing with them is, is guarding the, the holiness of God. Now, you, you say that, that seems strange. Like, why would guard, God need anybody to guard his holiness? Well, he doesn't need anybody to guard his holiness. Again, it's that concept of 
a, a heavenly council or a cabinet, if you will. Picture just like, like how you would think of as a, a king living, and if, obviously they have bodyguards, they have uh, you know, a council of people that, that, that you know, meet with them. Think of our presidents. They have a cabinet. All of our presidents have a cabinet of people that, that do things for them. They run certain government agencies for them, and they all have bodyguards, you know, and, and, and so it's, it's similar to that. It's, it's God n- didn't need any of these things, but God chose to have them, just like he didn't need us, but he chose to have us. Uh, and, and so the Bible refers to God's heavenly counsel actually on numerous occasions, and we looked at several of them last week uh, in Job, where it says, and, you know, God was meeting with, you know, his heavenly counsel, and Satan came with them. Uh, and we'll talk about about Satan and the demons next week. Um, so they seem to be throne guardians is what seems to be the, the, the major uh, thing that cherubim do. They, they stand by the throne of God. There are some scholars that believe that the cherubim and the sons of God are, are basically just synonymous, that they are one and the same. They are God's holy counsel. I don't know that any of us can say that with any kind of certainty. But when you do see them, you see them largely uh, near God or near the throne of God, and most of the references are either something like this where God's using them to like guard a specific place, or it's you know them being around God. In fact, let me read one of the other references for you here. Turn over to uh, Psalms chapter, uh, Psalm 80, uh, verse 1. It says, please listen, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph's descendants like a flock. O God, enthroned above the cherubim, uh, display your radiant glory. Uh, and, and that's how you see cherubim quite often, is, is either God sitting in between the cherubim or God enthroned above the cherubim, and the idea of them being like below his throne or, or right in front of his throne. Uh, interestingly enough that, that you know, when we see the book of Revelation, you see the living creatures that's talked about, and they're around the throne of God. And I would say probably the majority of scholars believe the living creatures are actually cherubim. Uh, though, again, there's no certainty about that. And, and you'll see I, I have a reference to them here uh, later on. Um, so cherubim tend to, to be you know, beings, spiritual beings that are near God, around God, uh, usually somehow seen as either part of God's counsel or, or somehow guarding God's throne. Um, they tend to be very bright and shiny. I, I don't know how to really say it any other way. Their, their appearance tends to be somewhat startling uh, to people. Uh, they're beautiful and, and also kind of awe-inspiring all at the same time. Uh, and when we talk about Satan next, next week, uh, we will see that he was called uh, the anointed cherub, or literally mean the chosen cherub. Now, most people, again, just take this as just one example of an angel, but yet there's the term angel and, and cherub are never really used in association with one another, and that's why some Hebrew scholars make the argument is really they're not the same thing. 
Uh, and, and again, most, most Old Testament scholars kind of agree that, that you know, that they are, are different types, but they just lump them all under angels. So for today's purposes, that's what we're going to do. There's no sense of arguing over it because none of us knows. You know, so let's not get like big caught up on like whether they're actually different or they're just types of angels. Everybody agrees that they're different on some level. They're either different types of angels or they're different spiritual beings. I, I don't think we'll ever come up with the answer to that till we get to heaven. Uh, but clearly, uh, they are different from other, uh, other angels that we see in the Bible. Another one is the seraph or the seraphim. Uh, the name basically means burning ones. Uh, and again, it's the idea, and you're going to see a common theme here. It's the idea of them being bright and shiny. Uh, uh, they, 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 are, uh, they tend to always be kind of bright when you see them, uh, you know, with, with the eye. Uh, and we'll talk about that here uh, a little bit later. Um, they seem to proclaim God's holiness or worship God. That seems to be the main job of the seraph, is to proclaim the holiness of God and to worship God. So they're either worshiping themselves or proclaiming his worship to others. Now again, at times they're called on to do other things. Uh, how many of you remember the kind of the famous story of Isaiah where uh, an angel comes and takes a coal from you know, from God's throne and touches his lips and says, now your sins have been take, taken away. Uh, it was kind of when Isaiah was called to be, you know, to be a prophet and to serve God. Uh, well, that was a seraph. The, the Bible says that was one of the seraphim that, that did that. Um, oh, somebody was asking me a question. Um, let me, uh, let's see here. Did I include any references to the seraphim? Turn to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. This is probably the most famous uh, instance, and this is the cleansing of Isaiah and his call, and we'll just go ahead and read it. It says, It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim each having six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their, their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips." Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. Uh, and then it goes on to say he touched his lips uh, and, and told him that uh, his sins were forgiven. Uh, again, they are awe-inspiring. A little bit frightening when you think of sometimes. It's, it's beyond our capacity, really. And, and it's you can see the reason why when humans see, see these things, it's a frightening experience. I mean, here's Isaiah. I mean, he realized the holiness that he was surrounded with at that point, uh, and, and immediately he's like, well, I'm done. You know, I, I mean, as godly as Isaiah was, he's like, oh, I'm done. I'm, I, you know, I've got no chance here. Uh, and, and, so the, and that's, that's, you know, 
I think his reaction was more the glory of God he was seeing. And the seraphim were kind of just a part of that. But you see the same reaction most of the time when people have encounters with angels. Uh, and and, and that's, it's pretty common. And we'll see that as we look through some other, uh, other things here. Now, let me give you just a, a few other names here. And I'll, I'll give the references, and, and, and we'll probably won't take the time to look the references up here today, but you can look them up on, on your own. Um, sometimes angels are called stars or the heavenly host or just the host of God. Now, we have to be careful there because, you know, obviously the stars themselves are called stars and the stars are also called the heavenly host sometimes. So you have to look at context to determine whether or not that is speaking about angels or whether it's not. In some cases it is, and in some cases it isn't. If it's used in a literal sense, then it is almost always speaking of just the stars. But if it's speaking in a figurative sense, it is almost always, in fact, I can't think of an example where it is not speaking of an angel or a, a, a spiritual being. You know, and so God gives them the, the, you know, that name. Again, when we look at Satan, we're going to see that he was called the, the, the morning star, the bright morning star. Uh, and, and, and it's a common uh, phrase that is used for, for angels. And last week when we looked at the sons of God, uh, it was a phrase that we came across. Uh, you know, that, that especially in Job, where it, you know, talks about the, how the, the, the stars you know, rejoiced and the sons of God uh, sang when God created the world. Okay, and so obviously it, it, it's talking about heavenly beings there. Uh, and, and, you know, again, some would argue that it's just two names that are given for the same being. Others would argue that, no, that's two different heavenly beings there. Again, we're not going to get into that, to that battle because there's no way to really answer the question. Um, some other things, the heavenly court or heavenly council, which we looked at last week. Uh, again, some examples, uh, 1 Kings twenty two nineteen. Psalm 82, 1. Um, some other names, uh, Elohim. And, and, and again, we talked about this last week, that Elohim is a common word that is used for God. And that is how the word is most commonly used as a, as a word for a name for God. But we do see it used at other times in the Bible. Some scholars argue that it's used for both humans and angels, other Others dismiss the human part and just say that it's used just of, of angels. Um, I would tend to lean probably a little bit that direction. I think some of the times when it's identified as a human is probably speaking of as an angel. But it is clearly used for other beings other than God. Um, I, one Jewish commentator I, I read about this, he, he basically said that, that it's used of angels because they are the spokesmen of God, and so they kind of get that term in a secondary sense. Um, I, I don't know, but that's, a, that's a, as good an argument as any, I guess, uh, and so it seems to make some, some sense. Um, so Elohim, uh, and, and that is, uh, again, that's used in, in Psalm uh, 82, uh, verses uh, 1 and 6. In Colossians 1.16, and let's turn back there, a famous 
passage on, on uh, angels, on spiritual beings. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. It says, For thr- through him God created, and this is speaking of, of Jesus, Jesus as supreme. Um, it says, Through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Every scholar I know of, you know, everyone I've ever read, basically is saying that that is referring to different types of spiritual beings, different types of angels, different types of separate spiritual beings, whatever you want to say, but, but the idea of thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities. Some of you may have principalities. Uh, there are several ways that it's translated, but they're all basically saying the same thing. It's the idea that there are the, you know, as he says right in the verse, there's things that we, see, we can see and there's things that we can't see. The things in the heavenly realms that we can't see, and then he starts naming these, these four things. Um, we don't have any more really explanation of exactly what they are. Are they just other names for the, the beings we're already speaking about? I think that's probably likely, um, but we don't really know for sure. Uh, but, but he does use these phrases in association with spiritual creatures, heavenly creatures. Uh, and you see that actually several times in the New Testament. The idea of thrones and dominions and powers and principalities or authorities, um, you know, that is that kind of series of, of, of things there are used several times in the, in the New Testament. Uh, living creatures, I've already mentioned, if you want to look that up on your own, Revelation chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 is one of the uh, references to the living creatures. Uh, the, the ones around the throne of God is kind of we see God's throne in, in the book of Revelation. Um, and, and again, it's Scholars are very split on exactly what they are, who, who the living creatures are, uh, but, but you know, most agree that they are some form of angelic or heavenly being. Uh, some, you know, some believe, again, that they are the cherubim or the sons of God, uh, but like I said, we're not going to get bogged down too much in that because we can't really answer that question. Others, another name is chief princes. If you turn to Daniel chapter 10, we looked at this a little bit last week, but we'll look at it again here today. Daniel 10, verse 13. And I relayed this story last week, uh, but Daniel has been given a vision and uh, an angel has come to him to, to relay the vision to him. Um, and he basically says that he was held back by the prince of Persia for 21 days and kept him from getting to, to Daniel. Uh, uh, and so let me, let me read the verse. He said, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. And by the way, Michael means chief prince, or 
he's called chief prince. It's not what the name means. We'll talk about his name here in a little bit. But in Hebrew here, the word is, is actually uh, chief princes, and, and Michael is, is sometimes called the chief prince. Uh, Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and, and, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. So you see literally like an example given of spiritual warfare, of two angels contesting one another, uh, two spiritual beings contesting one another, one trying to keep this angel from delivering a message to Job. And again, that idea of the sons of God and of the, the many scholars believe the sons of God are the chief princes, that they are the, the ones that kind of sit above the rest of the, you know, the, the kind of angelic host. But again, we can't necessarily know that for certain. But certainly they're in charge of something, and it does seem uh, that some of the, the demons, the evil spirits, are in charge of certain countries, most would argue, all the, the other nations around Israel. Uh, you know, that, 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 that's who they have essentially been assigned to. Um, and if we talked a little bit about that last week, I'd refer you back to last week's lesson. If you want to listen to that, you can go listen to it, and, and we talked about that a little bit, uh, kind of the time that God kind of said to the people because we had rebelled against him three times and he finally at the Tower of Babel said, okay, if this is what you want, this is what you can have. Uh, and Deuteronomy 32 talks about a time where God kind of uh, divided the nations according to the number of the sons of God. Okay? And, and so uh, that's what some Old Testament scholars believe happened. God basically said, okay, if this is what you want, this is what you have, I'll put you know, put your nations, all these nations, in charge of, of the sons of God. Uh, and and uh, but but that's when he kind of created Israel. He said, "Israel will be my own. They 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 will belong to me. They will be my portion." Uh, so it's a, it's a fascinating chapter. Maybe at some other point we'll come back to it. We don't really have time to do that today. Um, but you see the term here, chief princes, uh, and, and the idea of a prince used for both an evil creature and a good one. Uh, as I mentioned, and, and I'll, I'll mention, there's just a couple Bible or a couple uh, uh, angels are mentioned by name in the Bible, uh, and Michael uh, certainly is is kind of chief amongst them. Michael's name means "Who is like God." Uh, he is called Israel's chief prince, uh, as we've seen here. Uh, he is he's basically. It appears if that's what happened in Deuteronomy 32, Michael was given Israel. His job is essentially to be their guardian. Uh, and, and we see him referenced as Israel's uh, you know, guardian at several times in Scripture. Uh, and we'll look here in a second at a, at a passage in Revelation um, where he, not, he, he seems to be the leader of God's armies and also is, is the particular protector of the nation of Israel. Um, Michael um, is also referred to as the archangel uh, in Jude verse 9. If you want to turn back there or if you, if you want, you can just look it up later and I'll turn back there and read this. I'm a little slow today. I'm still breaking in this new Bible. It doesn't turn quite as quickly as my old one did. Okay. 
But even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, and most translations have archangel there, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. Uh, this took place when Michael was arguing about, uh, with the devil about Moses' body. And we don't really have time to get too deep into the weeds on that, but evidently Satan wanted to take Moses for himself when Moses died. And Michael got the job, again, of being Israel's guardian and, and disputed with Satan over the body. And the Bible tells us that God himself then buried Moses. So obviously Michael won the dispute. Uh, but it points out that he did it all in the power of God, not in his own, in his own effort. Um, but he is called the, the archangel. Archangel essentially just means ruling angel. It means over, he, he is arching essentially over the rest. That's, that's basically what the name means, that Michael is the most powerful of the angels. I think sometimes because Satan uh, is referred to in the Bible as, as the anointed cherub, and again, we'll talk about that next week, we kind of assume that Satan was the, the most powerful of the angels, but the Bible never really says that. In fact, the only one that it really seems to say is the most powerful angel is Michael, uh, that he is the one over them. Now, again, many scholars that believe the sons of God are a separate type of angelic being are, would argue that they were both among the sons of God and that Michael uh, ultimately was probably the most powerful. But again, we don't know. Um, we can't be too certain on some of these things. Let's look at Revelation 12, 7. And again, this is highly debated over when this happens. Some scholars argue that this goes back to the fall. Some argue that this event happened at the time of Jesus' death and resurrection. Others argue that this is a future event that will happen at the end of time. Again, I'd refer you back to the Revelation class. I spent two years talking about that, and I'm <laughs> not going to start rehashing a lot of that here today. Um, I kind of go with the, the third option. I think this is a yet still future event. But all three of them actually have some good legitimate arguments for why they say they believe it happened at that point. So, again, I wouldn't get in a fight with anybody over any of it. Uh, the, the reality is none of us know for sure. It seems to me to be more of a future thing, though, uh, that is spoken about here. And so for our purposes today, I, I think, you know, this is interesting. It says, then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought the dragon, which the Bible identifies as Satan. L later on, it, it calls him Satan. Um, My Michael and his angels fought against Satan and his angels uh, and 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 I'll, I'll just read it a little further. The dragon lost the battle, and he is and his angels were forced out of heaven. Uh, you know, and and so Michael seems to be the leader of God's armies, uh, and and either in a past time or a you know a yet future time, he and, and Satan, you know, the armies, the host of heaven, and Satan's demons and him will actually fight. A, a war in the heavens, essentially for control of the heavens, control of God's, you know, of, of God's kingdom. Uh, and, and Michael will prevail over Satan. Ma Michael and, and God's angels will prevail over Satan and his angels. Um, so, uh, you know, for our purposes, it's just important to understand 
that Michael is above the angels. He's like the, the chief angel, and he leads God's armies, okay? Now, to give you an idea of how um, powerful angels are in relation to humans, there are several passages in the Old Testament where it talks about, uh, you know, like one angel, the angel of death in, in, in Egypt, in, you know, the last of the curses, and brought death to all the firstborn of Egypt in one evening. Uh, the battle, uh, Israel's battle with Sennacherib, the Assyrian uh, you know, general and, and his great army, and ha- how they looked out in the morning and God had sent an angel, an angel, if I remember correctly, I should have looked this up, but I think it was just one angel, uh, overnight, and it had decimated the army of Sennacherib. Uh, you know, two angels destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So it, it's, they're no joke. Uh, you know, the, their, their power is far greater than, than our human abilities. Now, the interesting thing in the hierarchy of things, there's God, then there's the angels, but the Bible says we are just a little lower than the angels, and what that seems to be more of a reference is not to power-wise, but to position, that, that we are important to God, and yes, we are a little, we, our realm is the earth and not the heavens, and we are, a little, we are not as powerful as angels, but we are also the sons of God, that God essentially has a heavenly family and a human family. And, in, you know, we are as important to God as, as they are. And, uh, you know, so we are considered a little lower than the angels, even though power-wise they are considerably more powerful than we are. Um, but uh, let's, let's move on. Gabriel. Now, he is the other name that's kind of very often mentioned in the Bible. His name means devoted to God, uh, and he essentially brings important announcements. That, that seems to be his major thing, is he has been the one who's been given the privilege, if you will, of making some of the the, the most uh, telling announcements in, in human history. Uh, he, he makes an announcement, several announcements to Daniel, uh, but for our purposes, turn to Luke chapter 1. We'll be talking about this in just a few months. Christmas is going to be on us before we know what happened. Luke, and, and we read about Gabriel and his announcement every year at Christmas time. But Luke 1, verses uh, 16, uh, or excuse me, 26 through 33, and this is the, the birth of Jesus foretold. Uh, in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a, vi- a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, which, as I mentioned, is going to be a consistent theme whenever a person sees an angel. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. And and we can just end right there for our purposes today. We know kind of what comes next, but... Uh, Gabriel has been the one who's been chosen to give uh, some of these great uh, announcements in history. We know nothing of his class of angel. Um, The Bible never tells us. The only thing we know is when he shows up, his appearance startles and frightens the people who see him, at least initially. 
you know, it, it's, they are overwhelmed by, uh, you know, his, his appearance. Even, by the way, when he, now obviously, in order to appear as a human being, it really takes a miracle. He has to take on a human form. Sometimes he seems to appear more in a, what we would think of as an angelic form, that's probably not an accurate way to describe that, and we'll talk more about that here in a little bit. Um, Sometimes he seems to appear as a human being, but even when he's a human being, it's not like a regular human being. People seem to know like immediately when they're, you know, it's like, whoa, something is not right here, and and people tend to be afraid. Uh, So... You know, it, it, uh, it, it's, a common, it's a common thing. A few things that the Bible tells us about angels. Well, one, they are persons. They are not human, but they are persons. The, the, the things that we tend to think of as being attributes of, of personality, of, of a person, intellect, emotion, will, angels have all of those. I didn't put down references for that, but you can actually look up, uh, you know, many instances that show that they have, you know, intellect certainly, will, and even emotion. You know, there's times where, you know, the Bible talks about how the angels, there's great cheering in heaven every time someone gets saved, which I just think is cool and heck. I don't know about you guys, but I think that's really neat that, that the angels are basically cheering on God, they're throwing a party every time somebody accepts Christ, which is cool, you know, so they are emotional. It says they long to look into these things because, and we'll talk about this next week when we talk about Satan and the demons, but I'll give you a clue to bring you back next week, a little, a little throw a little bait out there. Um, they, they are not savable. They're not redeemable. Uh, Kind of like mankind, when we die, you know, that is kind of the cutoff point for us to make a decision for Christ. It seems that they had a cutoff point at some point in, in, in their existence too, and they had to make a choice. And actually, the, 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 the book of Hebrews uh, tells us that Christ did not die for the angels. Um, and, and other passages in the New Testament tells us that, that you know, they long to understand these things and look into these things. Uh, they're, they're amazed at salvation, evidently. You know, they, they just think it's the coolest thing. And they, and they love to kind of watch people get saved, which I, you know, again, it shows emotion, it shows intellect. Um, I just think it's really neat, you know, what the Bible says about them. Um, and, and Hebrews actually talks about, you know, well, we'll talk about that in a second here, um, their, their purpose. Um, it mentions, if you want to turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1 in particular, hopefully you all have Hebrews marked because Glenn's going to be in it later on today, so put a finger in chapter 11. says, therefore angels are only servants, spirits, sent to care for the people who will inherit salvation. It gives us a little bit of their nature. They are spirits. Now, the first thing that many people think of, probably the first thing I think of when I first kind of encountered this is, well, how, do they, how do we see them? 
Well, under normal circumstances, you couldn't. That's why I said it really it requires a miracle. They have to take on a human form in some time for you to see them because spirit and, you know, spirit is the opposite of matter. And bodies are matter. So strictly speaking, they don't have bodies. Now, we do know that they take on form and, and people see them and see visions of them. Um, here's one. This will this will kind of fry the synapses for you for a little bit. You can contemplate this for for a while on your own. Do they see one another? Seems they do. God recognizes them. They're around his throne. They see him. He sees them. So is there some sort of spirit realm where they do have visible attributes that are not physical body? Uh, the idea of a spirit spiritual body. We often talk about spiritual bodies because you do realize that's a nonsensical term. Spirits can't have bodies. They're the, they're the opposite of one another. And so what's that even mean? Well, we don't know. And that's why I said it'll kind of fry the synapses for you a little bit. There does seem to be a way in their realm that they see one another. There's kind of a corporeal sense to them even though there is no matter involved. How does that work? No clue. None. I, I don't know. But it does seem to suggest that. But when a human sees them, which is not our normal realm, that is a miracle. And I want you, and I should have looked this up. There's always verses I wish in the middle of like teaching that I would have looked up. Um, it's in Kings. Do I have it anywhere here? It would be worth reading if I do. Maybe. First Kings, I think this is it. First Kings 22. And this may not be the same story. But I'm going to look it up anyways. First Kings 22, verse 19. And Micaiah continued, listen to what the Lord says. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the armies of heaven around him on his right and on his left. Um, actually, I don't think it is the same one. Well, I apologize. I should have looked this up. But there's a, a passage in the Old Testament where God opens the eyes, essentially, of the prophet to allow him to see the, heaven's armies surrounding him. And, and I, some of you may have, have read that story through the years. They were always th They were there already. But he couldn't see them. And so God performs a miracle and allows him essentially to look into the spiritual realm and see that God's armies were all over the place. And the whole point was to kind of take away the, the fear that, uh, that was, was held. Uh, and it might be the same passage just a little earlier. I just don't have the time right now to, to delve too deeply into it. But, uh, so normally they, they, are, they are invisible to us. They are spirits. Um, second Kings, there you go. What was it again, Perry? 617. Thank goodness for somebody that knows how to use a computer. Um, <laughs> so Second uh, Kings 617, if you want to look that up on your own then later on. Um, but, you know, normally we can't see them. That's, that's the point. They are spiritual creatures. They, they are spirits. Uh, and and it, it, in their own realm, yes, maybe there's some way they, I mean, obviously there's a way they see one another. And when we are with them in eternity, we will see them. But as of right now, 
on this side of the veil, if you will, we can't see them unless God performs a miracle of some sort and makes them uh, visible. So they do seem to be able to, to do miraculous things, take on spiritual bodies or uh, human bodies, uh, despite the fact that they are spirits. They do not reproduce, at least not after their own kind. Uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 25. This is God speaking of the kingdom of heaven and what things will be like for us once we get to heaven. Uh, and Jesus was asked here, uh, you know, about a man who had, or, you know, had multiple wives and, and whose, who's, you know, wife is going to be his in heaven, that kind of thing. Pharisees trying to trick Jesus and it didn't work. Uh, look at verse 24, Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures, which I just love Jesus' answers. The job of the, the scribes and Pharisees was they were essentially lawyers in the law. They were experts in the law. And Jesus says, well, your problem is you don't know the scriptures, which couldn't have been, I mean, it, he, he might as well just walk up and slap them in the face twice. Uh, that, that You couldn't have had a better answer than that. He said, you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor, uh, nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in, the he in heaven. Angels do not marry, they, 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 not in their own realm. Those who believe that, and we talked about this last week, those who believe what happened in Genesis chapter 6 was, was the sons of God coming and mating with human women, uh, if, if you look at, at the New Testament verses that refer to that in Jude and in Second in Peter, it says that what they did is they left their their realm, their, their place where they were supposed to be. And one, I think it's the Jude passage, says like Sodom and Gomorrah committed sexual sin, essentially. And so, um, you know, but normally under the, in their own realm, they do not, they're not given in, in marriage. Uh, they do not reproduce. The medieval pictures of little cherubs floating around is completely inaccurate. Angels never, ever in the Bible, not one single instance, are ever seen as an infant, ever. In fact, most scholars would say every instant that they appear as young men, though strictly speaking they're genderless because they are spirits. But when they appear, they appear as young men. There is one possible ex uh, uh, you know, example where that is not the case, and that is in Zechariah 5, 9, uh, I'll let you read that on your own. That's another one that'll kind of like uh, fry your mind a little bit. That's a crazy one. Um, but, but a lot of scholars don't really believe what's happening in Zechariah is the sight of, of angels. They believe it's, it's, uh, it's kind of more symbolic and it's symbolic of, of evil. Um, so uh, th that's the one possible exception uh, to where uh, an angel might not appear as, as a young man. Uh, they can't die. Luke 20, 36 uh, tells us that they do not die. Uh, they have great power, which obviously, you know, we've already uh, discussed. Uh, they, they are incredibly powerful beings. Um, they were created. They, they, they are not eternal. They, they did not exist since, you know, without be beginning, like God does. God is the only eternal being in the sense that he has had no beginning and no end 
okay? Um, they have a beginning. They were created. Again, let's, uh, that, that passage in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, um, verse 16, basically states that they were created. And there's, there's a couple other passages that, that deal with the same thing. Uh, Colossians 1.16, though, is kind of the, uh, uh, it's kind of the most accepted proof text. It says, for through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see, the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. So they are created beings. They are not eternal. Um, and, and another passage is uh, uh, Psalm, um, I believe it's 148, verses 2 through 5. I'm going to look that up really quickly and make sure that's the correct reference. Psalm 148, 2 through 5. Yes, praise him, all his angels. Praise him, the armies of heaven. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you twinkling stars. Praise him, skies above. Praise him, vapors high above the clouds. Let every created thing Give praise to the Lord, for he issued the command and they came into being. Notice angels are included within that category of created thing. Uh, and, and, and so angels are created beings. Uh, this is important, especially in, in relation to some of the false teachings about angels that happen today particularly amongst like the New Age movement and, and the Spiritist movement where there is a, a movement to uh, worship angels and call on angels and kind of channel angels and all kind of crazy things like that. And, and by the way, this is growing. I, I mean, it is not, I'm not saying this is some kind of idle, crazy thing that like half a dozen people are doing. This is, this is a growing kind of, uh, of movement. Angels are not the souls of dead people. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere, do people become angels. The Bible says we will, in, in, think of what Jesus said. In, in this sense, we will be like them when we get to heaven. You notice how he was very particular how he said that? In this sense, we will neither marry nor be given in marriage when we get to heaven. We will be like the angels in that sense, but Jesus is also clearly holding a, a, a complete distinction between angels and humans. You know, and, and so we do not become angels when we die. Angels and humans were two completely different beings. Doesn't mean one's more important than, than the rest. It's, I, I, I love the fact that that angelic beings are called the sons of God and, and, and human beings are called the sons or the children of God. Well, God has two families, a heavenly one and, a, and an earthly one, and he loves us both, but we're different, different beings. And so one does not become the other. Yes, angels can take on a human form, but they never become human. You know, not truly. They, they, they are always still angels. They, when they take on a human form, they're only taking on a form for a period of time. You know, and, and so they, they are not, you know, they don't become angels or humans and stay humans, and humans do not become angels and, 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 that, you know, and, and, and be angels. That's just not how it works. They were created before the creation, and, and again, uh, and let's turn back there to that, to Job chapter 38. 
you guys a lot of finger workouts here today. Limber up your fingers. Job 38, verses 6 and 7. And here uh, the, the Lord is challenging Job when Job has gotten, you know, through all his sufferings, and, and I don't blame Job. I'd have been the same way probably. Um, but Job got a little bit too uppity and basically said, hey, God, why are you doing all these things to me? And finally God said, okay, it's time to kind of educate Job a little bit here. And God appears to Job in a whirlwind and speaks to him. And the interesting thing is Job has no argument left the moment God starts to speak. And that's the way we would be too. The moment, you know, I, I, it's, it's so comical because we think, boy, when I get before God someday, I'm going to ask him all these questions. No, you won't. Yeah, no, you won't. Uh, when we stand before a mighty God, perfect, holy God, we're not going to have any, any complaints. We're not going to have any arguments. Uh, you know, we may ask him questions someday, but only as a, as a child asks the father. It won't be, hey, why did you do this? Uh, and, 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 you know, Job found that out. Um, and God starts to ask him, Job, where, in verse 4, he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? That should pretty much just do the argument right there. Because the answer was, well, you didn't even exist. Uh, but he goes on in, in verse, verse 5, he says, who determined its dimensions? Who stretched out the surveying line? Uh, what support supports its foundations? Who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together, and all the angels, or, and that literally is our phrase, all the sons of God sang for joy. You know, so clearly they existed before the creation of our earth and of human beings. The Bible says they were created, but it was sometime before we were created, but before, and before the earth was created, because they were God's cheering section when he created it. You know, they, they, they were cheering him on um, in the creation. We're going to have to move quickly here. Their number is innumerable. Look up uh, Hebrews 12, 22 on your own. Uh, they, they, there's an innumerable number of angels, which basically doesn't, doesn't mean God can't count them. It means we can't. That's basically what that's trying to say. We can't count the amount of angels. There's so many that human beings couldn't count them. You know, so there's a lot of them. Purposes, as I've mentioned, they are messengers, they are guardians, uh, they worship God, they assist God and his people, they are heaven's court, they are heaven's army, they perform all of these purposes, um, and I'm probably letting out some. Here's one that would be fascinating to many of us, the idea of guardian angels, where does that come from, okay? Where's the whole idea of guardian angels come from? Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. It says, Beware that you do not look down on any of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of of my heavenly Father. Some of your passages have, they always see the face of the Father. It's the idea that, that little ones, children, have a, a, an angel you know, that, that is in the presence of God. Now, that doesn't mean nothing bad ever happens to children. We know that. We know that in life, and we know that biblically. But it does mean there's an account coming for those who are bad to children. Uh, you know, and, and, and evidently, God... Uh, 
kind of like to think of him almost as, as God's accountant. He's got people keeping, you know, not people in human sense, but angels keeping account. Um, and they certainly can guard, and there have been tons of stories throughout history of, you know, people being miraculously saved from something or other. I just read one here as I was studying this of uh, someone who was on a train track and got stuck on a train track or something. I don't remember the entire story. But all of a sudden, literally, they're like launched <laughs> off the train track over into like the weeds on the side of the road right before the train hit them. And there was nobody there. And, you know, they had no idea how it had happened, but it was just a situation like that. Now, you know, I have no idea. Was that an angel? I don't know. All I know is somebody all of a sudden was launched into the weeds in the side of the train track by something. Uh, and, and so there, there are many examples like that that you can, you can read and look up. Um, obviously, probably some of those are hoaxes or just stories. Some of them are probably true. Uh, and, and so I, I don't know how to, uh, to answer those questions. I will say this. In, in Hebrews 1.14, some have used to suggest the possibility that we all have guardian angels. That's one possible explanation. It's not necessarily the only one. So we can't with any definity say we all have guardian angels. I will relay a story from my own life. Uh, and, and I had a, a bad accident at work, a, a, a head injury. Um, and, and I probably should have died that day. Uh, the, the machine I was in was stuck up in the air. And I, was, I had a crowbar that was handed up to me from one of the maintenance guys. And I was trying to crowbar myself off this skid that I was stuck on. And the first way I tried to do it is I leaned completely out of the cab of the machine and was here crowbarring myself off like this. And if the, the, the machine would have collapsed while I was like that, it would have torn me in half. And there's no real reason it shouldn't have. Because I turned around, I went like this, like just and touched it, and the machine collapsed to the ground with me in it. I got the Tower of Terror ride for free. Uh, and, and it was the terror all came afterwards. Um, but anyways, I have no explanation for why I didn't die that day. I felt nothing. I, I, I'm not going to tell you that a guardian angel saved me that day. I know this much. God said, you stupid idiot, I'm not going to let you die today. Stop. <laughs> Stop doing that. Get inside the cab. Okay, now you can fall. I, you know, I... I should have died that day. I, there's, you know, and it's funny. Everybody that is was with me at that moment and saw that they were just kind of like, "Oh, ooh. you know, that should have ended in a bad way." I've had probably at least three or four doctors tell me, "You should have died from the head injury I had." So my life was probably saved twice twice that day by the Lord. Can't explain it. Won't argue it was an angel. Do know God saved it, however he did it. Because, you know, this blockhead should have died. But So, you know, there is the possibility that we have guardian angels. Certainly, um, they, they do seem to exist for children. Now, one final thing, um, you know, just kind of closing up here. Their appearance, we've mentioned this. They tend to be shiny like gems. Um, and I've got some references on there for the, the paper for those of you who have it. If you don't have the, the, the paper here, I'll, I'll read some of them. Uh, Daniel 10, 4 through 9, 
Matthew 28, 2 through 6, Luke 2, 9 through 10, 9 and 10. Uh, these all point out the shiny nature of angels when they appear and the reaction of people to their appearance, uh, that of fear. I love the Daniel passage, Daniel 10, 4 through, through uh, uh, 9, because he talks about how they looked like gems. Their appearance, their outward appearance was like, like gemstones. That, you know, that reflective, shiny, bright appearance, and even their faces glowed. Um, you know, and, and, and Daniel, like, Daniel was just scared to death. Uh, he, said he, his, he said his companions who were with him, they didn't see the vision, but they knew something was going on. They sensed it and became so afraid they all ran away and left Daniel there by himself. Daniel's like, they just left me here. You know, and, and so uh, their appearance is, is beautiful and frightening and <laughs> startling kind of all at the same time. You know, um, they, 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 you know, they're not to be worshipped, by the way. Colossians 2, 18, Revelation 19, 10 are just two examples. When we were studying Revelation, all of you were in my Revelation class, you remember we, we saw this numerous times because John, as he's given this vision by God, John kept wanting to worship the angels. And I get it because, you know, he was probably so confused, well, like, I'm worshiping God. And the angel would be like, no, no, get up. Like, they're very insistent. Get up. I'm just a, a creature like you. Do not worship me. You worship God. They were very, like, you know, they rebuked him. Uh, and so the angels themselves know that they are not to be worshipped and give testimony to that fact. They are never to be worshipped. So the whole idea that angel worship somehow is a biblical thing is simply not accurate. They are never to be worshipped. Their existence is taught in 33 or 34 books of the Bible. You, may, you might ask, well, how can it be 33 or 34? Because like I said, some references... Scholars do not agree on every reference of what is an angel and what is not an angel. And so, you know, some listed as 33, some listed as 34. Some listed as 273 times, others as 275. So obviously there are two references that are in dispute among scholars over whether God is talking about an angel. I didn't get into to what they are. My guess is it's probably a place that they're referred to as, as the host or stars, and some scholars believe that is talking about angels, and some believe it is not. But I, I don't know that for sure. But, uh, you know, they, they, the teaching is pervasive throughout the Bible. I've even read some scholars that have gone even further than this, uh, speaking, you know, because again, not everybody agrees on what is referring to an angelic being or a spiritual being, and not everybody agrees on, you know, like some believe that the sons of God are a completely different spiritual being than angels. So some restrict this more than others. I've seen some as high as like 50 of the 66 books of the Bible teach their existence. So I don't know that for sure, but the point is they are taught all throughout the Bible. Biblically, their existence cannot be doubted. Jesus himself taught the existence of angels over and over and over again. So if you're going to accept the things Jesus says, you have to accept the existence of angels. The Bible clearly teaches that there are spiritual beings, both good and bad. We've looked today at the good. I'm sorry that I know that this class is rapid fire. 
Trust me, I feel like it. I could kind of ring myself out right now. Um, but, but, you know, there's so much to cover. But hopefully this has been helpful. You've got the notes. Please, you know, take notes. Look into some of these passages yourself. Uh, and, and, and uh, you know, that's kind of where we're at. So let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word. I thank you for these creatures that you've created to, to serve and to help uh, us uh, to, to be your messengers, but also the Bible tells us to, to help those who, who will inherit salvation. That's just a wonderful thing, Lord, and I'm so, so gratified that, that, that they, are, they find joy in us coming to Christ. And so, Father, um, I just pray if there's anybody here who doesn't know Jesus today, this would be a day of celebration, that they would come to Christ and the angels would cheer. Uh, so, Father, I just thank you for who you are again, and I just ask that you would just bless us and, and control us as we worship you today. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Next week, demons and Satan. I'm already changing my outline. It's uh, just too much to get through all of them in one day. Just couldn't do it. Yes, yes, they, they did. They, they obviously at least at one point did because they made, uh, they made the choice to disobey God.